And so I sent that email to Simon. I got a response immediately. Mm. And it was his autoresponder saying, I no longer respond to professional email. <laughs> <laughs> hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Stephen Shedletsky, also known as Shed. Stephen and I have had a couple chats before, and it was an honor to get together in New York and have a podcast chat for you. Uh, for 10 plus years, Stephen worked with and at Simon Sinek's company. Um, while he still does some work with them, uh, Stephen has recently ventured off and is building his own company. And um, he is the author of a new book that comes out in the fall of 2023 called Speak Up Culture. You'll learn about the book and the ideas in this episode. You'll also learn about discovering, defining your purpose, your why, and how that's a two-person activity, how he started working with Simon, the business model of thought leaders, how he's been transitioning to building out his own practice and body of work. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter called Portfolio Career and also sign up for my free podcasting course if you'd like. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go, Steven. So let's uh, let's just dive right in, okay? Okay, I'm into it. Okay. Um, what would you say is your why these days? Well, my why hasn't changed, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> if my why was changing, maybe I didn't find it in the first place. Uh, so my why is to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. Um, I think that's why you and I get along so well is because you care about intimate, depth, meaningful connection. You don't do surface, neither do I. Those surface can be fun sometimes. You know, we, we care about, you know, what matters to people and personal details and caring about them. So... Yeah, that is that is my my why. Though we can find better ways to articulate it, um, usually by the time we're twenty years old or so, it's fully formed. And then, are we living in line with it, or are we out of balance? Say more about that. About how it your why can get established, or yeah, yeah. So, and this is work that I've done with with Simon Sinek over the years. So we found that both by your development, just brain development and experience in life, usually by the time you're about 16 years years old, 16 to 20 years old, um, your purpose is fully formed. Um, and I'm thinking of one person, they were the youngest person I did a one-on-one why discovery with, uh, and she was 16 at the time, and she went on to have a career that was and still is like wonderfully, you know, aligned and synced with with her with her purpose, with her why. Um, so yeah, it's really around just the amount of experience we've had and our development. Um, and then the fun is, are we then? I mean, this is why our twenties are so pivotal. This quarter life mm-hmm. crisis, right? You know, so many of us, you know, go to school, you know, get the education we think we we need, start the career that our parents, society, we think we should have. Um, and then we wake up at 28, 29 years old and we're miserable. And it's because we've pursued and chased a what as opposed to something that's aligned with our values and what we truly care about. So, yeah, I think it's then examining what are you doing and is it aligned with who you are, what you care about, what you believe in. Because uh, if you work on something that aligns with your values and beliefs, you're going to experience more passion. Mm. 
And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. <laughs> Typically, yes. Passion is good. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned here that the, the discovery process is a collaborative one. Yes. Um, talk to us a little bit more about that or how could maybe someone do a one-on-one why workshop, why discovery workshop with a friend or... Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we cannot be objective with ourselves. So, you know, I like to say it's very hard to read the label on the jar when you're stuck inside the jar yourself. And so in finding or articulating your why or your purpose, it's very helpful to work with somebody else because they can bring objectivity and literally put a mirror up to you, right? You can't just walk into the restroom, look in the mirror and say, what's my why? Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, and so having an objective listener, sometimes it's good if it's someone you don't know very well or don't know at all, um, because when you are working with someone that knows you well, they have a subjective view on you as well, or, you know, the process to unearth our purpose, um, you know, as I've learned and developed with, with, uh, Simon Sinek is you actually go into your past. You think of those peak and valley moments, those times in your life or career as early as your childhood up until this very instance, those moments that you would love to revisit and those moments that you don't wish to revisit, but it's still a meaningful memory. You know, like one of mine is my grandmother's funeral. Never, it was the first time I lost someone close to me, never want to revisit that event, but the moment of connection I had with my mom and a glimpse of empathy, understanding what it meant for her to lose her father at the age of 15. Like I had a moment of empathy, of of connection. Um, Don't want to go back into that room, but I'm forever grateful that I had that moment of connection. That would be a valley. And so as you begin to recount and recall these meaningful moments from your past, and then you share it with an objective listener, uh, a pattern, uh, a thread begins to, to, to reveal, which pinpoints your purpose, your values, um, and then, yeah, if, if you work with someone or you work in that process with someone who you're close with, you know, who maybe ha- has even experienced the same stories as you, that clouds their objectivity, right? They begin to say, that's not what happened. It's like, well, yeah. whose story is it? Yeah. So it actually can be really valuable working with uh, a complete stranger um, or someone who's completely, who, who can be more objective. Um, you mentioned grandmother. Yes. Um, are there any other moments from the past that those peaks in those valleys that have been, uh, meaningful to you in kind of helping discover and articulate your why? Oh, of course. Hugely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up with a stutter, so I know what it feels like to be voiceless and know what it feels like to lack confidence in speaking. Um, and ironically, I've now built a career in speaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's ton- of course, there's tons, um, tons of meaningful moments, both, both peaks and, and valleys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a really close relationship with my grandfather on my, on my dad's side, who's a Holocaust survivor, and very gregarious, very outgoing, really close, meaningful relationship with him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can get more specific if you want, but there's tons of moments, both big and significant or seemingly small, but still significant and committed to, to memory that stand out as either experiences I'd love to revisit. Um, I'm thinking of, of one where I, I got to present, um, uh, two clients, one client that we work with wanted to gift, uh, another client, 
um, an experience to you know essentially give a, a not-for-profit a, a gift of a workshop and I got to sort of introduce them and it was so so meaningful um, so yeah there's there's tons yeah. of tons of stories that come to mind happy to share more if, uh, yeah. if you want. yeah um, and so you mentioned growing up with a stutter and then how that you know you give speeches um, you have a mm-hmm. new book that's about communicating and stuff yeah um, what would you say were some inflection points with that like maybe you know how did you overcome that um fear sure yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well so yeah Uh, (laughs) i don't i don't want to label uh but yeah yeah fear was definitely there okay um well it's making me think of one of those stories which is great so the very first time i spoke publicly and realized i loved it was in a public speaking class uh, at the Richard Ivey School of Business uh, where I went and got my undergrad in London, Ontario. Um, and it was, a, it was a presentation class in my, in my senior year. Um, and uh, had an amazing professor. His name was Dennis Shackle. He's a Kiwi from uh, New Zealand. And at the end of his, uh, his first class, he said, your assignment for next class, should you choose to accept, and you don't, didn't have a choice, so everyone had to accept, uh, is to share a talk, a five-minute talk. And he showed MLK's I Have a Dream speech, and he mm-hmm. said, you have to deliver it with as much passion as Dr. King, um, which is like, that's high stakes, <laughs> right? Now, there were people who spoke of their love for mint chocolate chip ice cream, and I was in Canada, so someone spoke of their favorite hockey team or loving curling. And I remember sitting in that class knowing I had no other choice Mm. and that I, if I truly was going to speak about the thing that was top of mind and heart for me, it was overcoming a stutter and overcoming my fear of public speaking. And we all know the good Jerry Seinfeld joke of the number one fear in North America, I think this is according to Time Magazine, (laughs) uh, is public speaking. Number two is death. So you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, which is completely wonky and backwards. Um, And so I I remember, I mean, one, when I was in grade six French class, I couldn't say the word très in French class. Mm. And it was probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, though hopefully I'll have a bunch more years to uh, top that one. but that was when I knew I needed to, to get help, and I did, and I went to, you know, essentially a stutter school. Um, ironically, I've now married a speech-language pathologist, which <laughs> is good choice, more so for my kids than me. Um, so, yeah, but I, I remember giving a five-minute talk on overcoming my fear of public speaking to a, a group of people in a public speaking class. It was very meta, um, but I was hooked. I, I, it was the first time that I spoke and it was of service. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. giving a presentation on the grazing patterns of sub-Saharan African gazelle. I was talking about something. But can we deeply, talk about that? You, uh, <laughs> I don't know much. We can Google that. But, um, but that was the first time. That was the first time that I spoke publicly, and I was like, "Whoa, this feels cool." Um, you know, feeling like I had the room, feeling like I was giving something of myself to help them. Uh, I was like, "All right, I want to do more of that." Mm. So it wasn't about you it was about the other people yeah i mean of course it made me feel good but it was around hey i think i'm sharing something that is helpful for others based on how they're receiving it and that was pretty fun Hmm. Um, so i wanted to do more of that and what did that look like the next the next day did you just 
start cold emailing people <laughs> <No>. or start... <laughs> eh, pretty close. Um, what the way it manifested was when I started my career, I sought out some Toastmasters groups. I um, sought out any opportunity to speak about that topic, either yeah. overcoming fear of public speaking. And then also I became particularly passionate about feeling engaged, feeling motivated, feeling fulfilled, inspired by our work, um, particularly as my first experience out of college, my first professional experience was not fulfilling. Um, I joined a corporation first day on the job, a thousand people were let go post-merger, mm -hmm. and so it was a tumultuous environment. Um, and I became really, be, because I had felt fulfillment mm. in college, and the way I define fulfillment is you use your strengths to contribute towards something bigger than yourself, of which you know we all have strengths and we all have things bigger than us that we care about. Yeah. And if we do those things, then we can feel fulfilled. Uh, and so fortunately, I had experiences of fulfillment in college and so when I started my career, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> this sucks. Um, and at first, I made myself wrong. Like, why am I not motivated? But in time and from speaking with mentors and friends, I began yeah. to see, oh, maybe it actually isn't me. It might be that the environment or this job isn't for me. And so sort of began the search and journey for what does fulfill me, and then how can I make that the majority of my days? Mm. Okay. So the oil and gas company. Yes. Uh, a leadership program. You had an idea about, you know, you knew what fulfillment felt like. Um, you mentioned kind of working with, with Simon Sinek's company and with Simon. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that kind of transition. I think a lot of times people, you know, especially more and more these days, going back to what you were talking about of, um, of, uh, ambitions or fears like working with a you know world-renowned uh thought leader is definitely probably high on people's lists of things to do and you've done that so yeah. how how what did that look like how did how did that go down yeah thanks and good question so i mean what was good is when i joined him he was less prolific and less famous. <laughs> I mean, still, you know, he definitely embodied and put into words the world I wanted to live in. So, mm. you know, though when I joined him, he had 50,000 followers on Facebook or whatever, he was still a huge deal to me. He was prolific on TED and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I figured out what I cared about. Uh, a mentor of mine while I was still working at that oil and gas company, I said to him, uh, I'm afraid to do, I was moving into a marketing role at that company, and yep. I said, I'm afraid to do marketing for an organization where I don't believe what they sell and how they sell it. And he went, watch this video. And he sent me Simon Sinek's uh, TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, The Golden Circle. Yep. Um, and I successfully procrastinated for three months and didn't watch it. Uh, then I finally did, and I remember I was sitting in my parents' house at their kitchen table, and I watched that, you know, 18-minute TED Talk, and I felt like a puppy dog being like, huh, like everything this guy says to be is true. I've never heard it articulated this way. Mm -hmm. Like, it makes sense. And I, I started sharing it because it's such a simple idea that all you need is, you know, a, a napkin and a pen, and you can explain this idea of the golden circle to anyone. And so I just started sharing it. Um, in November of 2010, um, 
so Start With Why had been out for, I think, about just about two years at that point. The book. The book, yep. Start With Why. And the book and the TED Talk came out. It was a TEDx talk, but it was the first, one of the first TEDx talks on TED.com. Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so, yeah. What was I saying? Oh, yes. So I went to an event. Yep. I went to a conference, and I, it was called The Art of Management in, in Toronto. It's a, a series of Canadian... Uh, conferences, and I went to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak. Uh, at the time, Gladwell was talking about David and Goliath. He was just writing that book, which was really mm. cool. He was brilliant, and unbeknownst to me, Simon was speaking right before Gladwell. Mm. Uh, total accident, and like I showed up a little bit late or very on time to the conference and sat with some friends. Uh, and there was like the conference magazine with like, you know, Simon's yeah. headshot on the front. It's like, hey, it's your boy. Um, and so awesome. Heard him speak live. It was fantastic. Randomly bumped into him at the end of the conference in the hall. Met him um, very briefly. Sent him a connection request on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the irony is some years later, uh, I was then managing his LinkedIn. Um, and I wrote to him something like, you know, loved your talk. Uh, I'm going to read your book. Uh, and I and I think I wrote a little article on a LinkedIn group that I was leading and managing on, you know, millennial engagement or something. And he wrote back within a couple weeks, I think, saying, thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the book more than the talk. And I'm like, well, I don't like reading that much. So <laughs> unlikely, but thanks. Um, and then I just, uh, I... I devoured anything I could over that um, uh, winter break, that Christmas break of 2010, just listening to every podcast I could find. I, I read the book and I just like, I devoured um, anything that I could find because I was just so enamored with the way that he thought and the vision that he was trying to advance, a more inspired, safe and fulfilled, and fulfilled world. Um, and then I just reached out. I, I then sent him a follow-up email and I devised, ooh, this is fun. I devised what I now call a network with intent or, hmm. you know, a five, it's like a five point email. So if you, if you ever wish to connect with someone who inspires you, follow this template. Yeah. And the template is, you know, here's how we know each other or here's a common connection just to establish, like, I'm not a crazy, like we, we've either yeah. met before or, you know, so having some sort of, you know, second degree of separation. Um, here's why you inspire me. If you get that right and they're legit, they'll keep reading. Um, here's what I'm doing because mm. of said inspiration. So not only am I inspired, I'm actively doing things to advance what you also care about, right? Yep. Um, here's how I make up that you can help me. Do you drink coffee, right? And so I sent that email to Simon. I got a response immediately. Mm. And it was his autoresponder saying, I no longer respond to professional email. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were, yeah. Yeah. And there were three people listed on that email of sort of who to write to for what. The first one, um, her name was Kim, who's, who then later became my boss. And we had an amazing long relationship and are still close today. Um, that was around like sales and business opportunities. And I'm like, I'm not that that audacious yep. and then there were two others david and danielle um and i reached out to them and some months later had a call with simon and one thing led to another and just continued to nurture relationships more so with the people on his team than him mm. and when they I, I started doing a start with my podcast with david mead which was great um 
And then David was the first person who went to speak on Simon's content, what we later called um, being an igniter. Um, he was the first person outside of Simon to share Simon's content. And so as David went and started to do that, they needed someone to fill David's shoes on what he was doing internally on the team. And so that's when I stepped in there and then ended up having, I mean, I had an amazing uh, 10-year career on, on Simon's team. I'm still involved doing keynotes and workshops on Simon's content, mostly Start With Why and Infinite Game, which I mm. love. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was the fourth person to join that team. Um, and it's uh, it was an amazing run and I've grown so much as a human being and professional because of being involved with them for yeah. close to 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. So a couple things there. Um, the, like, it's also really interesting to hear about like the building relationships with the team and not necessarily just focusing on the person yep. um, or the leader, the executive, the CEO, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of uh, like really in demand person. Um, what, what did you mean that like, do you like coffee? That's kind of your ask thing or was that just a, yeah, yeah. I'm being cheeky. It's just yeah. like, can I buy you coffee okay. or can we speak on the phone for 15 okay. minutes? It's okay. just, you know, that fifth point is make the ask. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I meant by okay. do you drink coffee? Okay. I didn't know if that not... was like a particular, like perfect one for Simon of like, he loves coffee or something like yeah. that. Or it was, it was more, that, that's the ask. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The ask is, can I, have some of your time to connect and see if you yeah. can help me and I can help you type of thing. Yeah. Okay. So then you did this 10 year, um, uh, 10 year experience. Yeah. Um, and many roles, many roles. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and now you've kind of transitioned, um, you know, on, on your own, mm-hmm. um, still doing some work with them. What would you say about this idea of like, is, is a dream job possible? Hmm. So, um, like from uh, the outside. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I'm more of a believer in a dream career path than a dream job. I think there can be moments either in the moment or reflecting back on it or projecting into the future, you know, what a quote unquote dream job is or could be or was. Um, but life and career is dynamic you know, our needs change, Mm. you know, as simple as I want to live in the city. I don't want to live in the city. I want to be married. I don't want to be married. I want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm less of a believer in a dream job and more of a believer in how can we, um, lead, manage our careers in ways where in the moment projecting forward and looking back, it's a dream career path. Um, yeah. And do you think becoming clear on your why and, uh, okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm <laughs> nodding. Come, be, becoming clear on your why is, I mean, that's your compass. Um, I mean, we're all, if, if you use the analogy that we're all vehicles, we're not all the same vehicle, right? You could be a Ferrari. I could be a Jeep, yeah. you know, and it's not that the Ferrari is better than the Jeep. It matters what track we go on, Mm. put a Jeep on a racetrack, not going to do so well, put a Ferrari off-roading, good luck, right? Mm. And so then when you discover your why, your purpose and your strengths and your values, that's like owning or having your owner's manual. So you figure out what type of vehicle you are, and then the goal is to go on the terrain that you're supposed to go on. Um, Yeah. Okay. And um, 
like it seems like um you know you talked about this why around communication and speaking um and why it was so and still is so meaningful to you um what would you say to someone that is like what is kind of the it's kind of meta here but like the and i know it's evolving but like what is kind of the business model or what does it look like to be a thought leader like is it like you know how like if you're a startup it's like okay you need that product market fit like you need to be you know have x amount of customers and et cetera et cetera but what what does the business model of a thought leader look like yeah you go into a room <laughs> you sit cross-legged no i'm, I'm playing um <laughs> i mean a thought leader is in the business of ideas. Mm. A thought leader is in the, in the business of they, they, I have a worldview that is potentially different or, um, or even it, it's around though ideas leading to action. So if I'm a thought leader on something, I would say that I'm a thought leader on how can leaders and organizations operate at their best, most healthy, to lead a successful organization, to exist, to, to you know, leave the people in the world around them better because, that they, because they existed. Um, and I think a big thing with the thought leader is not to go stale, uh, meaning if you are transfixed that your ideas can't evolve, good luck with that. Mm. Um, it's a big reason why I love Adam Grant's work, right? He's written Give and Take. He's written Think Again. You know, and in Think Again, you know, his whole thesis is you don't have to agree with everything that I say. I don't even agree with everything that I say. Because he's a scientist and he, he cares about data, he might say something, and I've done this, where I'll look back on clips, video clips, articles, podcasts, recordings i'll listen to this one in 10 years and i'll be like what was i saying right and that's okay and that's okay yeah. that's part of the evolution of, of your ideas of ideas um you know this is a great podcast by the way th- th- thank <laughs> you know, looking yeah. back on it and saying like oh that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah tell me in 10 years um <laughs> but was it is it is it is it mike tyson or who who's the quote from that you know every plan works until you get punched in the face right mike tyson yeah, yeah. so so yeah i mean first and foremost for I think a thought leader to have longevity, they have to have a willingness to learn more, change their mind, and then share things in the form of content, whether it's on social media, whether it's in the form of books, whether it's in the form of e-learning or courses or programs, whether they're in-person, pre-recorded, or, or online, that then help people uh, share that view with you and then do something with it um, to help them and help help others. Yeah. Uh so as part of your kind of transition or your evolution um, from uh, to, to kind of where you are now, take us to that moment when you were uh, trying to figure out what like your speech was going to be about at an upcoming event. Yeah, like with, with coming up with my own stuff for yeah. Speak Up. So <laughs> that's a great question. So I remember I just made a conscious choice to start saying yes more to people like you who would reach out, because I've done some work with, with you, um, where they would say, hey, I have an event coming up. Um, the, the barrier to entry became lower with it being virtual. Mm. Uh, and I just got requests. And I would say, cool, like, do you want me to do Simon stuff? If you want me to do Simon's content, I have to go through the Simon yeah. team. But if you want me to do my own content, let me know, and we can make that work. 
And sure enough, a few people said, <laughs> I'm laughing because they would say, yeah, let's do your own content. And then I'd go, shit, what's my own content? <laughs> <laughs> and so I had a very I'm, real yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, I have a similar feeling sometimes when people are like, yeah, I, like, I want this from you. You're like, yeah, what's that thing? Like, I don't know what that is. Or like. Yeah. But one of my superhuman magic tricks, which everyone has capacity for, is asking great questions. Um, which is who's your audience? What's, you know, we did this before we started. I yeah. asked you, who's the audience? What do they need? That way my comments can hopefully be more relevant to people listening to this. And so, um, but there were a few things. I knew I cared about um, uh, good, sound, healthy leadership. I knew I cared about good, sound, healthy culture. I knew I cared about this body of work called psychological safety. And I felt as though I could contribute to it in a meaningful way. Because up until now, I think psychological safety, as made popular by Amy Edmondson, who I have the utmost love and respect for her, both as a person as well as a professional um, and as an academic. Uh, but I think a lot of the work in psychological safety up until this point has been quite academic. And so I felt passionate around having experiences in my own career and own life where I felt psychologically safe and I wanted to, to, to speak up and it made things better, as well as thought, thinking I was psychologically safe, speaking up and it didn't go well, or not feeling psychologically safe at all and choosing not to speak up and seeing these different outcomes. And so it was one event in particular, this guy Barry Engelhart out of St. Louis who helps to run the Society of Human Resources Management there in St. Louis. And uh, he said, yeah, we, we want to choose you and do your content. Uh, I was maybe going to do something with my pal Rich Devinney, who's a retired Navy SEAL and wrote the book The Attributes. Awesome guy. Um, and, uh, and so I said yes to him. It must have been around two years ago now. Um, uh, and the event was going to be in October of 2021. Um, uh, and, uh, I got an email from the event organizers in July saying, uh, we're looking forward to your, it was like an automatic, yeah. you know, message saying, we're looking forward to your keynote. Um, please, you know, click on the link and submit, you know, talk title, talk description and, you know, all that stuff. And I went, Oh, uh, and I, I had to figure it out. Um, and so the ideas were just beginning to form, um, and they're deeply personal ideas, you know, um, similar to Simon's work, my work is semi-autobiographical. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, I titled that talk, um, Leaders Listen Down, and I've since changed that because it, you know, Leaders Listening Down feels a little pedantic and paternalistic. Yep. And so I, I, thanks to, um, Sue Barlow, who's worked closely with Jim Collins on Good to Great, she gave me the idea to call it Speak Up, Speak Up Culture. And so, yeah, so that event in October of 2021 was the first time that I spoke publicly on Speak Up Culture. Uh, I've worked on the book since, and, uh, and it's fun. I'm going to do the same event with them uh, in the fall again cool. when the book is out. Cool. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. What would you say, so my sense is that the speak up culture and the speak up ideas mm -hmm. um, is a lot around improving communication about problems or opportunities within an organization, um, spotting trends and, and trying to get, bringing the ideas to decision makers, et cetera. Um, what about for people that are, let's say they want to 
uh, work on a side hustle or a personal project. Uh, how do you think kind of the speak up framework or the speak up ideas may apply to the person that's like, I don't want to just keep on climbing this ladder, mm-hmm. but I want more flexibility or I want more autonomy or I want more resources. Yeah. So, I mean, you're bang on. Um, the way I define a speak up culture is an environment in which people feel that it is both safe and worth it mm. to share their ideas, even if they're half baked, to share their concerns, even if they're unpopular or personal, disagree, especially with people more senior to you, and admit mistake, believing it will lead to improvement and not punishment. And so, while I definitely um, lean toward using most examples in organizations, you know, we can have healthy speak up relationships and unhealthy speak up relationships. So as Kim Scott has taught us, you know, all of life's problems can be put into a two by two framework. So I have a two by two framework (laughs) (laughs) and, and the, the, it's the relationship between, um, safety, psychological safety and impact. So, Ideally, we both feel that it is safe and worth it, high safety, high impact, um, to speak up. Uh, the, the goal is not to create a fearlessness. That doesn't exist. Um, indeed, if you truly come across a fearless leader, run away because they'll get you killed. Like, it's dangerous. Mm. Um, fear is important. Fear is evolutionary. Um, if it weren't for fear, we wouldn't have courage. And so it's not about creating, you know, I, I really don't like this term fearless leader. It's like nev- I've never met one. Um, uh, and, and there's no fearlessness when it comes to our cultures. It's around creating cultures and creating relationships where fear is lowered, where there is less fear. Um, because it's always hard to tell someone what you think. It's hard to offer feedback. You know, it's, it's hard to take these interpersonal risks. But when we're in a speak-up culture, we feel that that risk is worth it. Um, of course, we don't want you know, low fear and low impact. That's an unhappy marriage between fear and apathy. And I've been there and I've seen others there. No fun. fun. Um, High safety and low impact is, you know, you might feel psychologically safe, but you really don't feel like speaking up is going to do anything different, either because of bureaucracy or red tape, or let's say in the context of a relationship, you know, you have a good friend who isn't eating properly or isn't exercising or who's smoking or something. And you feel safe to offer them feedback to be like, stop doing that. You're literally making yourself less healthy. You just have no belief or confidence that they're actually going to change their behavior. So you'll still speak up, but only for a certain amount of time until you just, ah, it's not worth it. What's really interesting is when you have low safety but high impact. This is what we saw at Boeing with the 737 MAX, Mm. where Ed Pearson, who is a senior manager, um, saw that the plane that was being built and the way that it was being built wasn't safe. Mistakes were being made, in his view. Um, And he spoke up. He spoke up to all the right people. He spoke up to the general manager at the Renton Washington facility. He went to the C-suite. Like He rang all the right bells. And they proceeded in the name of profit, and two planes and 346 lives were lost. He didn't feel psychologically safe to speak up, and the context certainly wasn't a culture of safety, which is an issue when you're building things that keep people alive and safe. Um, but it's an issue everywhere, because the point I make in the book is even if we aren't working in in lines of work where it's life and death, like military, law enforcement, yep. aerospace, uh, healthcare. Um, our relationship with our boss is a, has a, a direct impact on our health. Um, 
good. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically enough, I just sneezed. Yes. So, <laughs> I was just talking about health. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, uh, and we're in an enclosed space with not much ventilation. Um, so our relationship with our boss has more of an impact on our health mm. than that of our relationship with our therapist and our family doctor. And it's our relationship with our boss is at par with our relationship with a life partner as mm. it relates to impacting our health. So whether or not you're in a life or death line of work, if you are a leader or you have a boss, you're in a life depleting or life feeding line of work. Um, so that last quadrant is really interesting where it's low safety but high impact. The stakes are high. It's worth it to speak up and that can even lead to whistleblowing. In the context of the question that you asked in terms of you have this, this person, this could be you listening, where you have an idea, you want increased flexibility, you have a side hustle, the opportunity, I think, is to find those relationships, whether it's at work or beyond, mm. friends and the community, family, where you can share these ideas and dreams and visions with um, who will support you. Uh, Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of Spanx, um, admittedly shared that she did not share her vision for Spanx with any of her really close friends or family because she knew that they would tell her to stop doing it. She only chose to tell people that she knew would support her idea, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Because uh, she didn't want naysayers and people telling her about the risk. She knew the risk. Uh, she wanted to do it. So, so yeah, I, I, just to, to hit the question head on is to find people who you think will support you. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to share about your transition, finding fulfillment, or the new book that you think that we missed? I mean, just uh, building a team and not going it alone. Um, you know, I have a, a team which includes my wife, not, not formally. She isn't on the payroll, um, <laughs> but she's a huge uh, supporter and helps keep me honest and even keeled. I have a, a member of my team, uh, Alejandro, um, who is amazing and gives his, you know, his heart and soul to, to see that things improve both for our organization and the work that we care about. And so, you know, though it's my name on the cover of the book, uh, it is not a solo pursuit. Um, you know, and I was burning out and Alejandro entered into my sphere, uh, and has really helped keep mm. things balanced. So yeah, just that, you know, team, team, you can't go it alone. We're not designed to. Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, I know we could talk a lot more, but um, um, how can people stay in touch? How can people maybe send that five-point email or yeah. learn more about the book? Yeah. If, if you five-point email me, I would, be, I would, be, uh, I would love it. Um, uh, and, and you get to see if I'm legit or not. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I believe as of now, I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky in the entire world. Uh, so all you handfuls of Shedletskys out there, please don't name anyone Stephen. But if you do, all, all good. Um, most active on LinkedIn. Um, the website is ShedInspires, ShedInspires.com. Uh, and SpeakUpCulture.com is where the book information is as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks. Pleasure to join you. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com. 
There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.